0: hi joe how's it going
1: hi dan i'm good thanks how are you
0: very good thanks for coming on it's been a long long time since we had a catch up hopefully so yeah that'll be cool um i'm glad we started recording now otherwise we'd have done the whole podcast twice but um so same principle format as everyone else, really. So you can just start wherever you want. We can just talk about you and what you're doing and how you got here and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, so um, Beauty Kitchen has always aspired to be the most sustainable beauty company in the world ever. But um, I think sustainability, which I will come on to, it's a very complex problem and it's very open to interpretation. And I think within the beauty industry in particular, you know, the beauty industry is not really known for sustainability um when we first started talking about it you know people thought we were mad so we kind of stopped talking about sustainability and kind of focused on natural because that was something that was up and coming at the time when we started beauty kitchen
0: when did
1: um, i just now, wanted to take it all been a bit of a blur it? it has so stuart and i had real jobs i was an analytical chemist, um, but I didn't actually do formulations or development chemistry. What happened was I fell into um, HR and I became head of HR for Avon Cosmetics down in (laughs) Northampton.
0: How did you fall into HR?
1: Well, to be honest, if you ask people in HR, most yeah. of them will will no. say they kind of fell into it i don't think there's many people that set out and go right i want to be in hr that's that's yeah, what i want not. to do with my life
0: yeah it's hard.
1: yeah <laughs> so um when that happened that gave me the opportunity to be to be able to see a very large cosmetics company and one of the most brilliant cosmetics company in the world i disagree with lots of things that they do but but the empowerment that they have actually given to women throughout the ages, you know, I think is a great a great start for any brand. They, they really know what their mission is. And what it gave me, so I've always been a beauty junkie. I've never really been the person that's into color cosmetics. I like what makeup can appear to do for you, but my big love has always been skincare. I have been obsessed with skincare from a very young age when I didn't need to be obsessed with skincare. Um, And then I had the chance uh, meeting um, with Stuart, who's my husband and co-founder of Beauty Kitchen. And he had a wealth of commercial experience in the beauty industry and loved that industry as well he started off working at Charles Worthington you know and was in the hair industry and we always knew that we wanted to do something on our own but it was then thinking of okay so how can you be different and one of the things that we loved at the time when we started thinking about setting up Beauty Kitchen was was Innocent Smoothies and what they had done so I'm going back you know sort of 14-15 years ago when they created a category that wasn't the juice category and it it wasn't you know the the health category they basically created something brand new and they held on to that brand new category for quite a long time before other people sort of caught up and so not there was that commercial side to it but then there was the side of all these bits of fruit and that's all it was being pushed into a bottle and it's great for you if you drink it and we thought well why can't you do that for beauty why does it have to have stuff in it that you couldn't necessarily eat and that was really the original thinking behind um, sustainability for us it was about freshness it was about naturalness and it was about DIY beauty it was about Sharing our knowledge of the beauty industry with anyone that would basically listen. And you and Oriane were one of the first people to listen yeah. um, alongside uh, Rich, who helped us with the, the formulation. And I have, as you know, a lot of energy and enthusiasm. So that really does give you. <laughs> Just
0: a little bit, yeah. <laughs>
1: that kind of gives you that drive particularly when people say it's not possible because that kind of phrase just doesn't live in my brain it never has done um in in any part of my life you know I think just because it's not been done before doesn't mean to say that it can't be done it just means that it's it's never been done yeah and That was really the kind of start of Beauty Kitchen. I cannot take credit for the Beauty Kitchen name at all. That was all Stuart Chidley.
0: (laughs) Did you come up with any names at the time?
1: Um, Yeah, I really liked um, Innocent Beauty. Uh, However, if you put Innocent Beauty into Google, there's nothing innocent about the beauty that comes up.
0: Oh, right, okay, that's a surprise.
1: So that didn't work. Um, So Beauty Kitchen was around looking at everyday ingredients, some that you could find in your kitchen cupboard, or some that you would be able to get you know freely, whether that was essential oils or salt or whatever. And, and really what we started with is we started with self pre- um, pre- um, sorry, self-preserving products because obviously when you start getting into water and preservatives, you then have to look at something quite different. So, And we wanted people to have fun in making up their own beauty products. Yep. It was like Build-A-Bear for beauty.
0: <laughs> you know that if you've got kids that Build-A-Bear, I don't know how many people don't know about it beforehand. Certainly well, there's nothing well, like, like came uh, across before.
1: Yeah, and I think the one thing that I haven't liked about the beauty industry over the past 20, maybe even 25 years, is that a lot of it was going into this scientific derma where you had to go into beauty halls and you almost had to be a scientist to understand what was happening with your own skin. You needed a consultation and you needed someone to be able to tell you what you were doing. And I kind of felt that we had moved away from the fun um, that you had when the body shop launched or the fun that you have with a Lush store. I mean, Lush, you know, have nailed the fun element, but still in keeping with great skincare and great body care. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder, because Lush have their own stores, we kind of thought there's a gap in the market here between the fun, the derma care and the natural, sometimes perceived as quite boring, um, could we have something that kind of sits in the middle and that's really what beauty kitchen um became and what that meant is that although we were being really quite nerdy about sustainability and about zero waste we didn't need to talk in those terms because that was putting people off rather than engaging with them at that time
0: yeah so what it was almost like a given you were going to be doing all that bit anyway and then just focus on the that's cool and you opened up your own store as well, didn't you?
1: Yeah. yeah, 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 and we still we still have. So we opened up a store in Glasgow and that was back in 2010. Oh my and what, what, what we did- <laughs> I can't yeah, believe it
0: was, it. It was, it was
1: 10 that long ago. ago. Wow. Uh-huh. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to trial um, what business model do we need to work with to be able to scale the business? So um, we, you know, opened a shop to see if bricks and mortar was the the way to go. We started, you know, a website, was e-commerce, direct to consumer, that way, the way to go. We looked at wholesale to independents and to beauty salons. We did, you know, all of the farmers markets, craft markets, you name it, in the terrible weather. And it basically came to to if we wanted to be self-funded and not take investment, we had to find a way to get national distribution. And the only way for us to be able to do that would be through a bricks yeah. and mortar retailer. And that's really what we did. So at the time in 2010, I was still working full time. And so with Stuart, we had proper jobs and <laughs> I- no, yeah. one
0: in, no one in this industry has a proper job, that's it, yeah.
1: Well, that, well, well, believe it. Well, Stuart didn't have a proper job then. I did as, as yeah. um, in HR. So I basically um, went to my chief exec and said, at the time, we didn't have children. And I said, I know that, that you won't give me flexible working. And I need to be able to work part time because I want to do something on my own. And I've just helped you secure this new contract with Microsoft. And yeah. I know you need me. Can I leave and come back as a consultant? And he basically said, yes. Oh, amazing. Um, so That's not an I easy
0: have... conversation either, is it? Even if you have got HR well,
1: experience. Um, it, it is and it isn't. it isn't. It depends, one, how you position something, but two, yeah. the business needed me and, and they knew they needed me, but they knew that they wouldn't be able to give me flexible working. And I was basically solving that problem for them. Um, so that that was how I did it and what happened over a period of years was I you know stopped doing as many days with that company and did more days with Beauty Kitchen Uh so we officially started trading in 2014 and the reason for that was we were introduced to the buyer at Holland and Barrett and uh, I managed to um, persuade her to take <laughs> five Christmas gifts for Holland and Barrett as a test. Yeah. Um, and we do that with national distribution, so it was eight hundred stores.
0: Oh, and really,
1: as, as that—that that was that was Beauty Kitchen's real start because yeah. we proved that that model could work.
0: That's amazing. And then, so and that was a success, was it? the gift set clearly it was a success
1: well it must have been because we then launched the you guys will remember this it was the six um lip balms in the little tins
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah, Um, i remember
0: the tins yep
1: (laughs) so we got those into again national distribution and um, the reason why we got that was the buyer had said that they didn't have any space, but I I know retail really well. And I said, well, what about clip strips? Yeah. And she said, well, we don't class that as space. I was like, OK, well, can we have that space? And that's really what happened. So, again, the, the kind of way that we've worked Beauty Kitchen, because we're self-funded, I think it makes you... I would like to say it makes you more creative, but it kind of, your back is kind of against the wall. So you have to really think of all options to try and get your product out there. Um, Because if you don't, then your business is kind of dead in the water. Um, And it's about being flexible. It's about being nimble. And it's about being all of those things that the much larger businesses just can't do because they're too big
0: yeah absolutely and it's been it's been an evolution isn't it because you had all that and then when we first started doing the work with you guys you were um was it classes upcycling where you were just well sure was just finding componentry that would otherwise go to landfill when you were using that and speaking on behalf of a manufacturer that certainly has its own challenges but um that was pretty cool but that but then that had to change slightly didn't it
1: well we knew that we wanted to um, have all of our products following cradle-to-cradle principles. But when okay. you're starting out...
0: What, what is cradle-to-cradle?
1: So cradle-to-cradle principles means that any materials that you use or create either stay within the circular economy, so they never go to landfill, yeah. or they become a biological ingredient. So as an example, if, if you're using a cleanser, yeah, when that ingredient is then either absorbed by you and excreted by you, or you wash a lot of it obviously off and it goes down the drain, yeah. that those ingredients and formulations um, can become something else, that they're not going to have microplastics as an example in yeah. them, where the, you know, the, the, the earth can't do anything with them. And then you've got the other, which is the kind of technological side of things, which would be man-made materials, I suppose. So this is like a little tin, but what can happen with this tin is that it can be emptied and it can be washed and then reused. Um, We obviously couldn't stick to all of cradle-to-cradle principles because we were using um, plastic bottles to begin with, we had to use off-the-shelf packaging. But what we could do, is we made sure that our formulations um, could stick to the cradle to cradle principles. And there's five of them in total. So um, you're talking about material health, you're talking about water stewardship, you're talking about renewable energy, you're talking about social fairness, how do you run your business? And the great thing about Cradle to Cradle alongside B Corp, which I'll come on to later, is that it's a multi-attribute certification. So rather than just looking through one lens, so as an example, if you have a vegan product and your product might be vegan certified, or it might not, but it's a vegan product, it could contain microplastics, which could in turn then impact Animal life, yeah, because you're only looking through one lens in saying, Are those ingredients vegan? And microplastics, as an example, well, they, they are vegan because they're synthetic, they're not made out of you know, they're not made out of animal material. So, I've always been fascinated by looking at things from a multi attribute perspective yeah, rather than just the one lens. And I think that just keeps it, 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 it has definitely future proofed our business. But it pushes the boundaries of the resources that we have on this planet, and how do we maximize those resources and never lose them?
0: It's really because um, we have a lot of customers that um, they position themselves as being natural, organic, or things like that. However, they wouldn't want it to impact product performance and things like that. So pretty much At some stage, people have to make compromises with these five lenses. Have you got. Rather than make a compromise, you just say we can't do it, or do you have to make certain compromises about certain Um, things that you're doing?
1: So the one thing that we said we would never compromise on, and you guys know this, is formulation. So we drive people (laughs) potty when it comes to formulations. And I know that because I know that that's something that we can definitely change. Unfortunately, as, you know, manufacturers and brands, we're at the behest of the packaging industry because they only do what they do. And it's a small part of your business. So over the years, the the compromise for for us as Beauty Kitchen has always been packaging, but never formulation. And when it comes to formulation, yeah, it would would just be a no. You know, um, we would we would, but I think it depends on what your definition of natural is. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So,
1: you know, this is is something that everyone has a big debate about because there is no universal um, interpretation of what natural is. And some, you know, everyday consumer might think, but that's, that's easy, you know, it's either natural or it's not.
0: No, it's not the case.
1: That's that's an aldehyde is very natural. Yeah. So just because it's natural doesn't mean to say that it's safe. You know, essential oils are beautiful, beautiful ingredients, but they are very, very concentrated chemicals. Yeah. And when it comes to it, they might be natural, but some of them are, are really bad for human beings. You know, so I I think you have to understand what it is that you want to get out of um, your products. And for us, it was always about sustainability. So if I use another example, argan oil. Argan oil is a fabulous ingredient. It is absolutely wonderful. It does so many things, but it only comes from one tiny little part of Morocco and everyone uses it. Is that sustainable? In my head, no, it isn't. Yeah. You then have Abyssinian oil, which can be grown almost anywhere. You can even grow it in a greenhouse in Scotland, right? <laughs> no not way.
0: That, you know, that can't happen. Not that
1: you would. But the thing is, Abyssinian is a crop that can be grown.
0: I didn't realise people own greenhouses in Scotland. I thought, I thought <laughs> no one grew and veg. <laughs>
1: We do, but we don't. Yeah. I mean, Abyssinia grows, it grows freely in France. It grows freely in the south of England. Yeah. Um, it's obviously originally from Ethiopia, which was previously called Abyssinia. And all of the tests in terms of what it does, you know, it either performs just as well or better than jojoba oil or... Um, or argan oil for that for that matter yeah. but it's it's a much more sustainable oil to use so that's why we've gone down the route of using abyssinian oil not just in our skin care but in our hair care as well yeah because it's a brilliant ingredient it means that we can leave argan oil to the unsustainable way that it's being um used at the moment no,
0: absolutely so as a brand, though, you've got a real clear definition of like what natural and sustainable means to you and your brand. Yeah, yeah. that's what we're and trying to encourage we, everyone else to have. It, yeah. So as long as you know what... like, So if you're ever quizzed by your consumers or, I don't know, the press or the media or a manufacturer when they're trying to look at your brief, providing it's clear in in the brand's mind what it, it does mean different things to different people doesn't it yes so provided we, we know that and consumers know it it makes things a lot easier that's why um yeah as a, as a company we're um on this sustainability trajectory but before we go too far we like we know what we really want to do as a business but we've got to make sure that the route we're going down as a business actually works for all our customers that make up, this well, they're like the most important as well as the people here, but the most important people. So we need to get an understanding of what it means to all our brands to make sure that what we're doing is gonna help them support what they're doing. So, ticking all those boxes. Yeah. No, that's cool.
1: And the thing is, you know, so being an athlete, you know that there's no such thing as perfection. What there is, is there pro- there's progress. And that's really what sustainability is about. There is is no perfection in sustainability. There's only progress. And it's about evolving that. And sometimes we have to push that progress quicker than others. And that's the other kind of aspect of Beauty Kitchen is that although we're a small, fast growing business, um the other aspect that we have done is we are very transparent and open source with other people in the beauty industry, particularly large businesses like Unilever, as an example, yeah. because they are the ones that can make the biggest and fastest impact in sustainability. Beauty Kitchen, in terms of turnover, you know, it would take us really 25 years to get even if we had loads of investment, it would still take 20 years to get to a size to make a huge impact in sustainability. So the way that we've done it is by targeting larger blue chips to prove to them by doing things more sustainable, it is more profitable, it's more scalable, and it's the right thing to do. So the question to those companies is, why wouldn't you?
0: Absolutely. But the the reason why it's it's (laughs) worth um, working with people like... You and Stuart, with it, when you were talking about the athlete analogy, Um, if if you were if you got into sport and you were doing the sport just because you had a goal in mind um, and all you wanted to do was achieve that goal, but you weren't enjoying the process and that progress, it's going to be the most awful experience ever. But those that are, I'm, I'm really fortunate in the sport that I do, I love it. So you enjoy the process and the progress you're making? And sometimes yep. it's really hard because you, you're getting impatient and you're thinking, Oh, I'm not getting where I want to get to as quick as I want to. But that's where the enjoyment bit comes in. So then you can take a step back, have a look at it. And that's that's why working with you guys, because yeah. you clearly both of you speaking of you are super passionate. And it's not just a um a PR thing, like that's like you said at the beginning, that's what you brand you've you created beauty kitchen because of your what you were passionate about. So if you were the likes of these bigger blue chip companies like Unilever and, and people like that, you're going to want to work with people that are passionate about it because it's going to make things easier. And you've got a real clear goal, like goal and identity. That's what makes it easy, um, easy to choose to work with you guys. I mean, and I find it fascinating. So that's and and so you because you want to make that big change as quickly as possible. That's why you need to target these bigger companies. And, and are they being really receptive?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. So, you know, if you disengage with people, or you're very secretive, and it's like, you know, I'm over here and, and nobody's allowed to see what I'm doing. And, um, and, and I understand that indie brands want to protect, you know, what they've created. However, if you don't continually innovate, you're dead in the water anyway at some point. So, you know, the, the the more that you can share and be open, not just about your successes, but also about um things that you've you've made mistakes with, you know, if there is enough of an industry for everyone to have the growth that they want to have. Yeah, And I, I think. Agree. You know the, the more transparent, and then and this really you know it's worked because Beauty Kitchen I've been so fortunate has attracted so many different people from so many different businesses that want to help us out, and, and the reason for that is because we would help them out, and it's just good karma. Do you know what I mean? Tomorrow I've got a conversation with the um, with Lush. And they actually have a department that looks after the REACH legislation, yeah, because they're yeah. that big. And they, because they are so against animal testing, um, you know, they, they have people that, that look after the REACH legislation. And, you know, that came about because I met Rowena, one of the co-founders, a few years ago. And, you know, she's one of my heroes because I just think what they do is brilliant. And I told her that. Um, and we've just become, you know, friends. And she's a mentor. I've got so many other people in the in the business that have been mentors. You know, you guys have kept us on the straight and narrow throughout all of the different <laughs> challenges that we've given you. I mean, you know, why are you why are you still here? <laughs> 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 The reason for the conversation tomorrow with the Reach consultant is you—you you obviously already know this—that Reach have said that there's two ingredients that now need to be tested on animals, and those two ingredients are only included in cosmetic, um, right. uh, you know, formulations. And I just want to understand what is happening there. But I've basically got you know this inroad and in getting some great advice from you know the industry heroes on non-animal testing and that only happens because we've shared other things with those guys. We as an industry need to be more transparent and open with each other to be able to learn so that we stay more robust but that we actually push the boundaries of sustainability. If we keep hiding from each other that's never going to happen, it just causes infighting which I just don't believe, I don't have the energy for.
0: Uh, you no, know, I couldn't agree more. It's the same with our competitors and other people like that. I'm all open to being super open, super supportive with people, the same with our brands. It, um, whether you like karma and all that, like whether you believe it or not, and I, I've got real strong beliefs on that sort of stuff, but um, it's not rocket science, is it? It's like, what? So the more you help people and the nicer you are to yeah. people, people are going to want to help you and be nice back. It's like, I don't even feel like it's some idealistic <laughs> fantasy. It just seems like common sense, doesn't it? So
1: It's common sense.
0: Yeah, it's just, and it makes it more fun, actually, when people start engaging, you know, being supportive. We're really lucky, actually. We're um, surrounded by customer suppliers and competitors that always want to help out each other. So feel yeah. lucky, actually. I think I've seen a lot about the industry anyway. But, so, yeah, I, I, think, the,
1: I think the industry's changing. I mean, I think, you know... The natural part of the whole beauty industry is the growth arena, it's the growth area. And anyone that started out within the more natural organic space, particularly with formulations, is already further ahead than, than the guys that have stuck to their you know, only synthetic ingredients. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for that, again, the, you know there's a debate about what's synthetic and what isn't um uh but i think we in the natural space have got the opportunity to lead from the front and that's what you want to do you need to take people with you or you know all of it will all of those conversations will just stop um and is it not a happier place to be when you have those open conversations rather than not
0: <laughs> of course it is it is so much easier and happier. Is that and, and you've got the B Corp thing behind you as well, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I'm very proud of this.
0: And I, I don't know so if we, I don't know how many people know about B Corp. What is B Corp?
1: So B Corp is using business for the power of good and what that means again is it's a multi-attribute certification so we have written into our articles of association when we started the business that we at the moment most businesses are traditionally set up in a linear fashion and they're set up under milton friedman's economic viewpoint which is just shareholder value is the only thing that you should be looking after and you do that at the cost of everything else which might have worked you know 50 years ago but it's out of date in our current environment so b corp with your articles of association we have said that we will place as much value on shareholder value as the environment and the human element So there's three different parts to that. We are a commercial organization. We're not, you know, we're not a social enterprise. Um, But what that means is that when we are looking to make either formulations or deal with our suppliers or packaging or any, any decisions that you make, you have to look at it of what's the impact on the commercials, what's the impact on the environment and what's the impact on the human element. And if those three things don't align, then the decision is, no, we're not going to do it. Um, so it's something, again, that we've lived by for since since the beginning. We yeah. used B Corp principles before we certified. And again, I, w- I would encourage anyone to um, look at B Corp you don't need to certify to be able to live with those principles, but what it does is it gives you a great framework that you can look at, and you can all you can also do an assessment online without going through the certification, which will show you where you have gaps in your business yeah. that you can then focus on. And again, if you can, if you have got anyone that can identify areas for improvement in your business then again it's like the physical element you can only get stronger from that
0: yeah no absolutely it's something we're we're looking into um and that's why we've got investors in people exactly the same just because you want this continuous improvement and make sure we're giving back and doing the right stuff yeah we on the sustainability when you were talking about like what it means to people that's why we're going and this is why it's just not about environmental we're going Down the route, I know, help you guys. We um minimum order quantities for a lot of contract manufacturers are around 5k, 10k, and we've always been low at this 5k. And a lot of people are jumping up from going from 5 to 10 or 10 to 25. But we really want to help out startups that have got their ideas and stuff like that, and even existing brands. And for me, it wouldn't be sustainable going back to what it could mean if you had um we encourage all our brands to put 10,000 units into a warehouse of which we don't know if they're ever going to get sold, or if they're going to sit around gathering dust. So we're trying to look at doing things yeah. and cutting that down and getting smaller. Your your tins are behind you on that picture, aren't they? So what teams you just described?
1: Yeah. I think we've got the old originals actually. So this was- You were going to say something because... about
0: this picture at the beginning, before we started recording. Oh yeah, so you? it does you.
1: actually See, beauty kitchen can you work it out
0: yeah i can see it who did that
1: it says beauty kit um a glasgow graffiti artist
0: and it's so that's it's we magnetic. got it done ages ago is it on metal
1: yeah nice. uh, no it's on a board with a one of those magnetic sheets
0: ah okay it's good isn't it yeah hey and this is the logo. In fact, your logo is. Yeah, tins? and what we did
1: is we did these tins with the labels that had to be stuck on.
0: For the clip strip.
1: Don't know if people can see that. And then eventually we got to minimum order quantities where we could actually have them fully printed. <laughs> yeah.
0: Woo. The logo's changed a lot, isn't it? Your design because it was really, really like fun and playful when you launched, and then it's really like evolved.
1: Yeah, so that's the beauty kitchen. In fact, you can probably oh no. So this, this is this what we've been asked. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, (laughs) we were asked by Boots to create reusable uh, travel containers for them. yeah, um, And this is one of the containers. So, you know, Boots, which obviously is quite different because there's nobody traveling at the moment. But yeah. in Boots, if you, if you were taking anything, hand luggage, you would have all these little plastic bottles or whatever. So they basically asked us to um, uh, change it. So it actually has, it says sustainable travel on it with the B Corp. And what we want is we want people to return, refill, repeat. And again, it's small changes like that. It's like, why did we use plastic? This looks so much better. Yeah. And it's forever.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Sounds cool. What's been the um, the hardest bit for you guys? That's a good question.
1: I think the hardest bit, it's not hard, I suppose, the most challenging um, has, well, there's two parts to it. One of the most challenging is um, cash flow, so working capital. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, everyone needs to get paid, and we know that. Um, but then we've got the other side where retailers sometimes don't necessarily think the same way as other people. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And then the other part is when people don't believe you, you know. So when we started talking about sustainability to begin with, um, you know, we just we just you could just see people glazing over in their eyes, it, they just didn't understand what it was. And obviously we weren't communicating it in the way that we communicate it now. So we just stopped saying it. And um, Stuart and I decided to do sustainability by stealth. So, you know, we would we would make changes to packaging or labels or, or formulations for that matter that we knew were making much more sustainable impacts. We yeah. created the refill machine you know, the very first refill machine was in Holland and Barrett where you could make your own body scrub and it's evolved from there. You know, and everyone's saying that'll never work. It'll never work. You'll never get a retailer to take that, um, you know. So when that kind of happens, there is days when you think, are we doing the right thing? Um, and you've just got to believe that you are.
0: You, yeah, you said you, at the you, beginning, uh, when, when someone tells you it's not possible, that doesn't that doesn't figure for you, does it? So that makes sense, it's like a dog with a bone. Oh, cool. And then so, and then what's like the next 12, 18, 24 months? That's just focusing on this, the refill things you're doing, or...?
1: Yeah, so the other part that we've done... So Beauty Kitchen is a beauty brand. It's a sustainable beauty brand and the other element to it is that because we have created everything in reusable packaging is that we have launched what's called our return refill repeat program and what that means is that customers can return their empty packaging to us we will wash it refill it and then send it back out to store or send it back out to them um we have had a lot of interest. So Beauty Kitchen is basically the first customer to the Return Refill Repeat Programme. Yes. Um, but we have a lineup of lots of other people because we want this to be accessible to anyone in the beauty industry. So, and, and again, that's the bigger impact. So the Return Refill Repeat Programme, we have become the experts in reusable packaging we know the standards of what that packaging needs to be for the beauty industry we know how it needs to be washed and we know how it needs to be washed not just from a from a safety perspective but also from a cradle to cradle perspective so we don't use any detergent in the washing and um, because we use a mix of heat and pressure and one of the other interesting things which is it has not been launched but we're trialing it is that if i if i think of i'm just trying to look for something if i've got something that's maybe this isn't this is a hand sanitizer but if it's like a cleanser for instance and we get this this glass amber bottle back empty yeah because it's had a cleanser in it or a facial oil for that matter there'll be some residue in the bottle And we're actually working with this amazing Italian engineer who has worked out that when the washing cycle happens and the cleanser comes out of the, through the wash, that that cleanser can be collected and it can then be used as the detergent for the next cycle.
0: Oh no, that Um, is, that is that goes on what you were saying at at the very beginning, like having zero waste almost. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: And he couldn't, he actually couldn't believe because I had asked him if it was possible. And he was like, yeah. in a very Italian espresso way, no, 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 <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not going to happen. And I'm like, well, could we, you know, could we try? Could we try and see? Um, <laughs> I know what you're
0: like with that. Other remember when you've had chapter before with Laura and the lab, no, it can't be done. Can you? You sure? No, <laughs> and then lo and behold three months later we achieved something we didn't think was possible so oh, amazing uh,
1: completely yeah and and where the idea came from is that when you read some of the cradle to cradle books and some of the examples of how cradle to cradle has been put into place they talk about DuPont I think that's how you pronounce it and they um they do lots of things they're obviously a massive company but they do um lubrication oil for for engines and engineering works and what they actually do is they lease the oil so the oil goes to the factory it lubricates the engineering works they then collect the oil at the end of that take it back to their factory and add in the little bits to be able to then reuse it again. So you never actually pay for the oil, you just lease it. I mean, that just blows my mind.
0: Yeah, that is mind-blowing, actually. I'm still struggling to get my head around it. That's amazing, though, isn't it, how some people think? thing it's amazing
1: yeah and if it's possible in one industry then and that's something else that we've always done we always look to other industries yes. how did they do it there and bring it over to the beauty industry Um. so the bottle washing is an example iron brew is a soft drinks company up here in Scotland, (laughs) some people may have heard of. And they actually had one of the biggest bottle washing um, uh, factories in the world. It's a hundred, it was 104 years old and they spent a whole load of time with us a few years ago. Talking about how they did it, how they grew it, how, what has to be done, and and they shared a lot of information with us. They also shared a lot of information about customers returning the packaging, and it's okay. a lot higher because a lot of people think like, people aren't going to do it, but yeah. actually they were still getting returns of seven to eight percent, even though you could have just put your glass bottle into the recycling. That's
0: amazing. How were they it's returning huge them? Isn't,
1: returning them to stores so little independent stores it was like a bottle of a bottle of fizzy pop so they would take it back they would get 30 pence for their bottle and it would come off their years ago isn't
0: it all over the place that's what I mean yeah milk floats everything
1: yeah and I think I think it's just thinking about what did we do previously can we make it contemporary for our industry and can we make it work for our industry And that's we are big advocates of looking at other industries and seeing what they do to see if we can transfer that over to us.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I'm super excited, Joe. Glad we're part of it as well, actually. So you keep us on our toes, that's for sure. So it's amazing. Well, I'm conscious of the time, actually. I told you it wouldn't take up too much and I'm just taking up quite a lot of it. So thanks for today.
1: No thanks.
0: Me, um, and I think time. we definitely need
1: to get someone someone to interview you and the team. <laughs> um, because you guys will have seen loads through a different lens.
0: Yeah, I will get that. The thing is, everyone I chat to, they ask me different questions, especially like before or after. and. Um, so, everyone, I know that everyone that would chat to me would ask me different things. So, I don't really know how to go about doing it, to be quite honest. So, we don't want to pick one person. because like you definitely ask me different things to, compared to someone else. And then everyone else would as well. But um, people don't want to listen to me. They want to listen to you guys, the brand owners. that's much more exciting. <laughs> and I don't want to be the center of the attention. So, I'll leave it there <laughs> and swiftly move on. So thanks for your time, Joe. I really appreciate it. Say, like, just do it for me.
1: No problem. Thanks for listening.
0: Good luck with everything. Cheers, Joe. Thank you. Cheers, mate.